Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're doing Lean In, Women, Work and the Will to Lead by Cheryl Sandberg. Currently the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Facebook, and she's had a massive career before that at Google and before that in politics and finance. I didn't realize she was named number four out of the top 100 Forbes list for... for Most influential women. She's a powerful woman. Absolutely. And she's got some great advice for women out there who want to follow it on a similar route to her and have an amazing career. It's obviously career advice where women have to juggle priorities, both childbirth and work. Uh, and she talks about achieving equality for men and women, but most importantly, combating these external obstacles and the internal barriers that women face to success at work. Mm, absolutely. So today in the US, the UK and all the developed world, women are better off than ever, there's no doubt. But we stand on the shoulders of, when I say we, I'm saying it in, as in women, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, I'm a male. But we stand on the shoulders of women who came before us, women who had to fight for the right, and now we take that for granted. So she says that knowing that it could be worse and knowing that in the past it was worse doesn't mean that we should just sit back and think, oh, we've got it the best ever. There's still room to grow. There's still better things that can be achieved. Yeah, she says that you know, in the 60s and 70s when the feminists were marching in the streets and burning their bras, they envisioned this world where men and women were truly equal. And you know, decades later... She says that we're still squinting trying to bring that vision into focus. It's it's not here yet and there's still plenty of room to go. Mm. So 5% of the S&P 500 CEOs are women. But as you were saying, man, in 1970, women were paid 59 cents. It's been improved to 2010 that it was 77 cents. But Cheryl, she... No, I think you need to clear that up. Women weren't paid 59 cents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just explain what you mean there. For every dollar... <laughs> Uh, compared to the male counterparts. Yeah. So, so they say this gender pay gap that if <laughs> for every dollar a man earns and a woman earns 77 cents and it was 59 cents 40 years ago. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, what she calls the gender pay gap. Mate, she's got an interesting story about when she was at Facebook, right? Mm. So she flew to New York for a series of pitches to, to private equity firms to get some investment. But during the first meeting in a corporate office high above Manhattan, it was all going well. But then during the break, Cheryl asked, oh, where's the woman's restroom? She needed to go for a piss. Yeah, so the guy just stared blankly back at her, very confused. <laughs> and he had to turn to his colleague to ask, where's the female toilet? And she said, what's what's going on here? How long have you been in this office? Are you just new to this office so you don't know where everything is? And he said, no, we've been here a year. Mm. So she said, what, am I the first woman to ever set foot in this office? And you have this high-powered uh, New York um, private equity firm, the first woman in a year. Um, so it's obviously uh, shows that we're certainly not equal yet. Absolutely. So at the start of the career, you know, there's a lot more women in the workforce. But when you get to Cheryl's stage, when mm. she's up the very high executive kind of level, there's just no women to be found up at that level. Yeah, exactly. So she talks about this problem that uh, that women talk about the chicken and the egg. So the chicken is that women will tear down these external barriers once we achieve leadership roles. So she says there's external barriers to women's success. But the egg is that we need to eliminate the barriers first in order for women to get to these leadership roles. So it's this classic chicken and egg problem. What's What comes first? Do women get into leadership roles first or do they tear down the barriers first? Mm. So it's a tough one. Cheryl's idea, she says that rather than focusing so much on these external barriers, is that women should look internally first. She says that these internal obstacles are rarely discussed and often underplayed, 
But mm. these internal obstacles are the ones that we can control. And that's what the rest of the book talks about, these ex- internal obstacles as well as a little bit on the external barriers. Yes, it's definitely very actionable for a woman, mm. a girl who wants to do really well in her career. And, and she's got some great advice throughout the whole book. And one of the big reasons she kicks it off with is the leadership ambition gap. So all the blokes out there, they're super ambitious and want to go very far in their career. But she goes through a bunch of studies where it's just not the case with women in their Mm. career. They don't have the same ambitions as the males do. That's what she says. She calls it the leadership ambition gap that more men than women aspire to the most senior jobs. So if you ask a guy, you know, what's your big career goal? You know, she says that more men than women will say, I want to be the CEO, I want to be the top dog. Um, whereas that she says that there's this gap here. It's not that women don't have the skills to lead. And she says that, in fact, girls do much better academically in that 60% of all master's degrees go to women. So that's a three to two women to men. But she says that, you know, this academic success isn't translating to career success just yet. Yeah, so what she says is happening, in your, say in your late 20s or early 30s, you know, it's probably the time if you want to do well in your career, you've got to really be on super, super hard at it. But... At the times when our careers are demanding maximum time investment, women have this other competing priority mm. that you know their biology is demanding that they have children. Mm. And that's what she says that these gender stereotypes that have you know been on for centuries, millennia, that the woman is the one who raises the children and the man's the one who goes out to um, make a living, is still holding women back today, so that women aren't aspiring to these top jobs. Yeah. Absolutely. So she's got a study here with those stereotypes and how it actually plays out. Um, reminding students just of their gender at the start of a test, you know, clicking male or female, makes them do better or worse depending on what they click. Yeah, she says that um, in a maths test, you know, it's assumed that men are better than maths, girls aren't as good as maths. So she, they, there was a study where sometimes people had to select their gender and sometimes they didn't. And she said that when women selected their gender, they actually performed worse on the maths test. Mm. And unrelated to the book, they, they also did the same thing, whereas um, stereotypically Asians are better at maths. And if you had to put down your ethnicity first, an Asian who wrote down they were Asian, then they <laughs> did better on the test. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, can you cheat and just like I don't click th- Asian no nah, I don't think if so if you're not <laughs> I think you need to believe it <laughs> but yeah. mate so that's chapter one that's the the leadership ambition gap so she says that even still today women just don't have the same ambitions as men to get to the top mm. so that's one of the internal barriers so from here on man I really love this part of the book this is where it gets super actionable for, for women and the first thing she talks about here is um, sitting at the table. Chapter two, sit at the table. So there was, there was 15 guys from Silicon Valley who were you know, from different big companies. And there were four. There was a guy from the head of the US Treasury and he had four female staff with him. So everyone was at breakfast, this networking thing together. Um, they're all chatting. And then when it came time to get down to business, Cheryl said, cool, everyone come and sit at the table. And there was a big um, conference table, you know, 20 seats, enough for everybody. And there was a few off to the side and all the men went and sat at the table and the women sat off to the side. Mm. And so obviously that's a massive, massive uh, difference. Whereas now, because of where they chose to sit, the women are essentially just spectators rather than participants. That's it. So as long as women keep choosing to be spectators and not proactively um, electing themselves to sit at the table then, you know, these, these gaps are still going to exist. Yeah, Cheryl said that this, this was a massive moment for her where she witnessed these one of these internal barriers firsthand and how it altered a woman's behaviour. So she, after the meeting, she got went to the four women and said, why don't you sit at the table? And initially, they just thought, they never thought that they should be sitting at the table until mm-hmm. Cheryl explained, yeah, no, you should be. Next time, make sure you sit at the table. 
Mm. And so it's just, it's just one of those internal battle, battles that uh, Cheryl says women face all the time. Mm, absolutely. So she talks about this thing called imposter syndrome and males and females uh, have this. So it's where you feel really fraudulent for the position you're in. So, you know, they're all in this big dog meeting doing in high power positions. Everyone you know, it's is got this feeling, well, when are they going to find out that I'm actually not that good at yeah. what I do? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Every, she says that everyone feels it, but it tends to be skewed towards more women who feel it more often and more strongly. And that if you ask a man about his success, uh, this is obviously a massive generalization, but I think it's pretty true that mm. a man often credits his own innate qualities, his abilities, his skill, his getting shit done. Whereas if you ask a woman, she'll externalize it. She'll talk about, I worked really hard or I got lucky or I had this help from somebody else. So obviously a big generalization, but I think it that holds pretty true in that guys are willing to take the credit, whereas women often like to say hey, they worked really hard or they got lucky mm. or they had other help. And like so many things, like the chicken and egg you alluded to earlier, a lack of confidence can be a self-fulfilling mm. prophecy. So it's a positive, or in this case, negative feedback loop. Yeah. You know, them not sitting at the table and showing a lack of confidence makes them act in yeah. a less superior way. Yeah, this imposter syndrome, a guy does something well, and he says, yep, that was all skill. So he gains confidence to be able to do better next time. Whereas a woman does something well. She says, I got lucky. She doesn't have the confidence to be able to repeat that success in the future. As you yeah. say, that self-fulfilling prophecy. The next really interesting thing she talks about is this success and likability factor. Chapter three. And this kind of blew my mind a little bit, man. So in 2003, there was a study about a real life uh, entrepreneur named Heidi Rosen. So they described this story of this lady to... Uh, a group split into two so one half of the group they were told her the real story and the real name named Heidi and then the other group the other half they just had the same exact story but with one difference they named the person in the story Howard so it was interesting that there were both men and women in the study and in both cases everyone rated both Heidi and Howard in terms of competence they rated them equally so they rated them both as equally competent in their ability to get things done but Howard came across much more appealing as someone said, I'd rather work with Howard as a boss or as a colleague. Whereas Heidi, um, she was seen as selfish. She was seen as not the kind of person you want to work with, not the kind of person you want to hire, ambitious in a negative way, um, all these negative things that they associated, even though it was the exact same story, just with the name change. Mate, that'd be very, very tough to contend with. Yeah. Uh, she says this experiment supports a whole bunch of previous research that says, Success and likability are positively, positively correlated for men and negatively correlated for women. So mm. as a man gets more and more success in their career, people tend to like him more. Yeah. As a woman does, they don't. They, yeah, they, they tend, tend to, to like just him like less. him less, which is, which is a hard one to deal with. They, she says that you know, the word ambitious is used um, almost in a derogatory way for women. If, if someone says, yeah, she, you know, she's doing really well, she's really... Um, ambitious it's a negative <laughs> that's a very negative thing so our um, stereotype of women says that they should be caregivers sensitive and communal mm. but it's okay for males because they're meant to be the providers decisive and driven yeah exactly if a woman's cutthroat um then she's a bitch mm. whereas if a man's cutthroat then he's just assertive it's obviously a very very different take uh and that's why you know she says successes and likability are negatively correlated for women which is a which is a tough thing to overcome she got some really terrific advice from Mark Zuckerberg early in her career. And he said, one of the things that will hold you back, Cheryl, is the desire to be liked by everyone. Mm. He said that when you want to change things, you can't please everyone. 
if you do please everyone, you're not making enough progress. Mm. He says Mark was right. Mark was right by a few things. Mate, yeah, he's got a few things right over, over his career, big old Mark Zuckerberg. Mate, chapter four, it's a jungle gym, not a ladder. And I reckon this is great. You know, most people talk about career as the career ladder in that you're essentially climbing up or you're standing still or maybe you're stepping down. But Cheryl says that it's more of a jungle gym in that on a ladder, there's only one way up, whereas a jungle gym, you can go sideways, you can tackle, tackle a different type of obstacle, a different way to get up to the top. And mate, I like that she says that the view for the, the jungle gym's better. If you're on the ladder, you're just looking at the ass. <laughs> whereas the jungle gym's a lot more fun to look around. Yeah. Oh, I prefer the jungle gym, absolutely. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's true, man, that uh, it's not just a ladder. You're not just, you don't just get in one job and then get promoted to your boss's job and then get promoted to his boss's job or her boss's job. You're actually on a jungle gym where you can move around. Mm. It's not just one path anymore. I think, yeah, it comes down to a choice. For a lot of people, they do choose the, the latter mm. as opposed to having more freedom and flexibility with how mm. they move in their career. So Cheryl definitely did take a very flexible path throughout her whole, whole career journey. So she started out at the World Bank as a research assistant to Larry Summers with the mission to reduce global poverty. But after that, she was really excited by all the techies going and working their genes. So she wanted to move toward in, in that direction. So she went to Silicon Valley, a bit of a no-namer at this stage, and she was looking for a job. She thought it would take four months, end up taking her a full year up. Mate, as you, as you say, that you know, if she looked at it as a ladder, she was working as a research assistant in the World Bank, she would have thought the way to get to the top of, the, of her career was to become the head of the World Bank. Mm. But she thought it was more of a jungle gym, so she took a sideways step to go towards tech and Silicon Valley. So she had a spreadsheet with all these criteria of what a good job might be. And she had a few jobs on the table at this stage. Mm. And some of them were, you know, had pretty good positions and pretty good titles and well-defined job descriptions. Yeah. But at the same time, she was also speaking to Google. Yeah. Now, Google at this stage, they were relatively well known, uh, unknown and very small and all that. But they offered her a job as... Uh, business general business operations manager yeah. or something along <laughs> those this, lines it was this completely made up brand new role that didn't even exist in the past she was a head of business units and they didn't even have any business units mm. <laughs> so it was this brand new thing and she had this spreadsheet and obviously the pros and cons of each job offer she had on the table um, and trying to work it out via a spreadsheet so in making the decision eric schmidt who's the founder of google at this time he's a nobody right he yeah. convinced her he's not pretty the founder, quickly. but um yeah <laughs> he was just, <laughs> he was ahead he was ahead of, of google yeah but yeah, Big Eric, what he did is he covered her spreadsheet, kind of just knocked it off the table and told her, don't be an idiot. He said, there is only one thing you need or one criterion that matters when picking a job. And he says, growth. Mm. When companies grow, there are more things to do than there are people to do them. And when companies stop growing, there is less to do and too many people to do them. <laughs> and politics and stagnation set in and everything just, just falters. Definitely, man. If you, and he's, he used the analogy... I like this. He says, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. Mm. So that's it. If she was looking on a spreadsheet and she thought, you know, what seat should I take? Should I be the CEO? Should I be the CFO? Should I be the COO? But he said, if you get a seat on a rocket ship, and mm. Google was obviously a rocket ship, mate, that went straight yeah. to the moon, just get on Man, that's, and work it out as you go. That really is good advice. I've never heard it in terms of that analogy. So, mm. you know, there might be all these, these criteria that you look for in a job, but you can just like, you just get rid of all that and just be in the, a job that's growing or a market that's actually uh, growing and rocketing away. Definitely, mate. She, she talks about setting goals for yourself for a career and she says you should have two concurrent goals. One is the long-term dream and then one is the 18-month plan. So obviously your long-term dream and you have a, a series of 18-month of plans along the way. Mm. So yeah, 
big shares. So after after Google, she went to Facebook as CEO, COO. Um, and people ask again, why should you join a lower level job for a little little bitch, twenty three year old Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, she she took another her own ship, advice <laughs> and went on another bloody rocket ship, and off she went. Man, so, interesting thing she talks about um, uh, called the Tiara syndrome, where a, a lot of men happily put their skills and abilities out there. We talked about, whereas women go a different route in that they think if I just keep my head down, if I keep doing my job really, really well. Someone's going to notice, they're going to come along and put a tiara on my head, where she says that the most common way to give up your power is to think that you don't have any. She's saying that women have got power. You can talk about your achievements mm. and your skills. Don't wait to be offered that tiara because she said it's never going to materialize. And who's, who wants to wear a tiara on a jungle gym anyway? It's a pretty good bridge man to chapter five, which is, are you my mentor? So she talks about the the fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty, and we love our archetypal stories here at What You oh, Learn. I absolutely love them, man. <laughs> we all grew up with this fairy tale, which kind of instructs the young woman to wait for their prince to arrive. Now, mm. young women are told that if you can find the right mentor, which is similar, um, you'll be pushed up the career ladder and whisked away to the corner office to live happily ever after. You know, if yeah. you find the right mentor. <laughs> yeah. But once again, we're teaching women to be dependent on others. So it's, again, this idea of being reactive, reactive and waiting for someone to come and save you um, when it's all on the on the woman to really take control of her career. Yeah. I also like that she says sometimes the best mentor-mentee relationships are the informal casual ones where the word mentor is never actually uttered. It's more of those casual meetings that you have with someone um, that becomes a mentor without you even realizing it. She says that she was, in her mind, mentoring um, a younger female worker and then somewhere along this journey, the female worker said to Cheryl, oh, I need to find a mentor. And Cheryl said, well, what's a mentor to you? Obviously, Cheryl thought she was mentoring her. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, you know, just someone who I can call my mentor and maybe we sit down for an hour every week. And Cheryl says, that's not a, that's not a mentor, that's a therapist. <laughs> it should be these informal things where you don't even have to call them your mentor. You're just obviously getting great advice and, and spending some great time with an awesome person. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, it's unfortunate for that young girl. <laughs> Mate, she, had a, she had a good mentor yeah. in Cheryl Sandberg. <laughs> yeah, she can't <laughs> complain. So another thing that, that women have to contend with is this idea that, like, say for you're a young bloke and you've got a senior manager who's a male, it's kind of easy to say, hey, can we get a beer after work and mm. just chat about my career and so forth. Mm. But if you're a female and, and you're in the same situation and you're at a bar with a, uh, someone who's your mentor, it can be, it can look like, it's a mentor relationship, but mm. not really. It kind of looks more like a dating kind of dynamic. Definitely. Mate, it is, um, I'm sure it is tough for, for women that uh, if they get anywhere of any, any success, other people look at them and think, how on earth did she get to the top and assume the worst? Mm. Especially if they're going for drinks with their mentor who's a senior guy at the firm, 20, 30 years older. Um, people just assume the worst. No doubt. So chapter six was seek and speak your truth. So she's got a little story about her friend Betsy who became pregnant and Betsy's toddler came up to her, being all curious about, you know, the next the brother who's coming along the way. And he asked her, is the baby in your legs? And she goes, nah, it's not in my legs. Sam, is it in your arms? And she goes, no. And he goes, where is it? Then what's growing in your butt? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's weak it's a pretty funny story but what she's saying here as kids grow up you flatten me out there <laughs> mate you've read the story so you didn't hear the punchline so yeah. if listeners hear the punchline originally they're cacking themselves but what she's saying <laughs> is kids, mate, as kids as kids grow up we teach them all to be polite 
So our natural tendency when we grow up is we're very, that's like a very assertive and blunt thing mm. to say, very extreme on the spectrum. Yep. But then we teach them to be really polite. So a mm. lot of us tend to go extreme on the other end of the spectrum mm. and become extremely agreeable and we don't really say, say the truth. But she says, authentic communication is not always easy, but it's the basis for successful relationships. So the upside of painful knowledge and being blunt is greater than the downside yes. of just being agreeable and blissfully ignorant. Yep, 100% agree, around. Mate. I got nothing else to add there, mate. After a pretty weak start, you saved it. <laughs> that was a good, oh, a good little takeaway, <laughs> mate. Chapter seven story. Ch- chapter seven. Don't leave before you leave, mate. I think this is uh, one of the keys to the book and where the title "Lean In" comes from. So Cheryl said that um, one of her female employees at Facebook said asked to speak with Cheryl, and they were talking about you know how does Cheryl manage to have kids and have a family and still have a successful career? So. Um, Cheryl just assumed this woman was about to get pregnant or was pregnant or something and so she asked her about it and the woman said no I'm not pregnant I actually don't even have a boyfriend yet so Cheryl was saying that this woman is certainly jumping the gun she's already thinking five eight ten years into the future about how she's going to manage to have kids rather than focusing on a career right now so she should be leaning into her career right now rather than leaning back and waiting for that that family to come along. So by shooting the gun too early, she's you know she's trying to plan to integrate career and family way too early, and it's not the one big decision for the female to leave the workforce. It's the many little decisions mm. along the way for when they start to you know leave before you leave, so to speak. Yeah, she says that women are closing off doors. So she says here that a person who is most satisfied with their position probably won't leave. And the issue, and she says, in fact, the tragedy is that women start to take these small steps to think about how they can manage future work and a family. So they think, you know, maybe I can drop back to part-time so I can come back as a part-time worker after I, after I have my kids. Or they think, oh, I won't go for that promotion. It's too much work. I won't be able to handle it when I've got kids. Or they stay in the same role for five years or they don't take on new projects. So Cheryl says that women are thinking all these small steps are going to allow them to come back to work after having a child. But she says you end up in a pretty boring job that's not engaging, that's not very um, enjoyable. And you think, why would I want to go back to a boring job rather than stay with my kids? Where she says, if you actually leaned in, took those opportunities, took the promotions, took the step up, you're going to be loving the job when you leave to have a kid and you're going to want to come back to work. Mm. So at the start of your career as, as a female, it's it's going to be in the back of your mind, this idea of kids. Mm. And then as you get a bit older and you push and it gets to, to way toward the, the front of the line, then they yeah they start scaling back, as you just said, and then... As you said, it's the worst thing you can do is you're leaning back and mm. pulling off the brakes. It's the time in your career when you really need to be stepping on the pedal and, and yeah, just lean, lean in. in. That's what she says is that this idea that somewhere down the track we're going to have kids so we won't be able to work as much or something um, means that they're leaning back too early. She says you need to be leaning in the whole way until the point where you you know, literally like you're about to have kids, mm. you know, when you go from a, a woman to a mother or a man goes from a man to a father or a couple goes from a couple to a parent. That's the time when you start making the decisions about what comes next, not five, eight, ten years before yeah. the fact. Yeah. So deal with it when it comes. So when the baby pops out and it's screaming. <laughs> well, maybe a couple of months before when, you, when you're getting close. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I haven't had but, kids, mate. I don't, I don't but know. But not years before, not decades before. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, when the baby pops out and starts screaming around, our priorities shift in fundamental ways. So, you know, my brother's just recently had a baby and it's unbelievable. But um, she says parenting may be the most rewarding experience ever, but it's also the hardest and the most humbling. Mm. So she said if there's the right way to raise kids and everyone would do it, 
but at the very start, you know, you got no idea really. Yeah, definitely. Mate, she talks about the, a Harvard study about people who reached the age of 40 and she said only 56% of women who started in the workforce remained until 40 and 90% of men. So obviously a lot more women, you know, four and a half times as many women are leaving before the age of 40, presumably because they've had a child and decided not to come back to work. So she uses the analogy of a career. It's like a long and grueling marathon at the start. Women and men are both equally fit and competent and capable and the male runners get cheered on from the start. Looking strong, mate. You know, you're on your Keep way. Keep going. Keep yeah. going, son. But the female runners here, as they go, you know, you don't have to do this. Good start, but you probably won't want to finish. And then external voices and internal voice started asking the question. But then when they get toward the end, spectators start shouting, why are you running when you have children at home? Mm. So men don't really have to deal with that at all, do they? Yeah, exactly, mate. The, it's just assumed by these... Um, age-old uh, archetypes made of, of the stories where the, the men are the, the the breadwinners and the women are the caregivers. And obviously, all this builds up to the point where you've got kids and then you're thinking that everyone's thinking, oh, you know, congratulations, but what are you doing? You know, you've got kids at home. Why are you still out here in the workforce or running this marathon that is a career? Before we get into the big solution of the, 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 um, the primary caregiver, she's got a nice piece of advice here, I think, about childcare. And one of the big reasons women drop out of the workforce because of children is because childcare is so bloody expensive. Mm. It's kind of like working for nothing, really. But she says women need to factor in their future salary increase, not their current salary. Yeah. Because um, they're sacrificing a lot more in the future. Basically, I think she's talking about, um, you know, almost like compound interest. Like, say right now, you might be working for and earning 80K a year, but you're paying 50K a year in... in um in childcare, so it's like, why would you bother if you can save that fifty k a year? It's not a big drop. Where she's saying that if you think about the future, if you stay in work and don't take that step back, and you can get promotions and get pay rises, it's going to work out way more positively in the future when you're earning a bigger salary. Yeah. Man, I thought another interesting one that she says that women who drop out of the workforce and don't return to work after having a, a child uh, are concentrated at opposite ends of the earning scale and so it's those that are married to men who earn the most or the least so obviously the men that earn the least it means that uh, you can't afford childcare, so the woman has to stay home and look after the child and the men who earn the most it means they've got enough money so there's no need for the woman to go back to work whereas she says that it tends to be the people in the middle who are the ones who do go back to work and, and pay for childcare. yeah very very interesting chapter eight so this is the the big one and unfortunate for the, the males who want to get out of all the childcare duties but she says make your partner a real partner that's it you got to divide that up 50 50 man it can't yeah. be just all the woman and the dude just runs and the guy just goes back to work has beers on the way home and comes home to bed yeah uh, it comes <laughs> later in this chapter we'll, we'll say it now it's like the some of the males when asked call like when they have to take care of their child they call yeah. it babysitting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think any mother calls when they have to look after their child babysitting yeah. at all and, uh, yeah, definitely and another one, well, they, they also the men also call it their hobby is their children. Mm. But you will never see a woman say, oh, my, ch- my hobby is my, my children. Hobby. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, mate. Uh, obviously, again, it's it's almost like she says there's obviously a biological element that women have to um, feed the child early on. Um, the man can't do it without the woman. So there's that biological reason for it. But then there's also just the stereotypes that we need to break. So the biological thing... Um, we've got the solution, which she says the breast pump. So mm. a woman doesn't have to be there 24-7. A man could do that theoretically now. So now we just need to tackle a stereotype mm. aspect of it. 
So it's not just the male just stepping up to the plate and taking more care and being more nurturing. It's also up the mother to to let them do that and fumble the baby around yes. and you know, make their way. Cause, Mate, I thought this is, a, this is a great bit, the maternal gatekeeping. <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of mothers out there who just discourage their husbands for doing the doing their share by controlling the baby and the share too much. Yeah. So when the, the male just picks up the baby and, you know, drops it. <laughs> maybe, maybe not drops it. <laughs> but, you know, fumbles it around. So yeah. let, him, let him just, like, figure it out. Man, she calls it this maternal gatekeeping, which uh, I had to make sure I got in to this episode about how, say, if the guy goes over to clean the dishes and then the woman says, oh, what are you doing? You're doing that wrong. Let me just do it. That's the maternal gatekeeping where she should be praising him for doing it in the first place. And Cheryl tells a story that the first time the guy goes to change the baby's nappy without being asked praise him even if the baby comes back with a nappy on his head <laughs> so just it should be rather than saying oh you're doing that wrong then the mm-hmm. guy never wants to do it again just you know release the maternal gatekeeping aspect of it um, and allow them to stuff up until yeah. they learn yeah so this is this is huge man if you're a woman who wants to really kick ass in a career um she says of the fortune of the 500 top fortune ceos that were women the few that were said, they all said they could not have succeeded without the support from their husbands, helping mm. with the children and household chores. Mm. So they had husbands not really um, taking their weight or taking some, you know, some of the responsibilities around the house. Then they really would have had no hope because they would have had to burn both responsibilities. Yeah. May, I've got a completely unrelated thing, but it was in the book and I thought it was funny. Mm. She talks about this other book that's called Porn for Women. And she says she's got like it's pictures and, and captions. So there's like a picture of a man cleaning the kitchen and the man saying, I like to get things done before I have to be asked. Or it's a man getting out of bed in the middle of the night thinking, is that the baby crying? Don't worry, honey. I'll, I'll go get her. <laughs> Man, that sounds uh, enticing. Sounds, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> sounds rare though as well. Yeah. <laughs> Very rare. Unfortunately. But yeah, yeah, obviously women, if you really want to make it in your career, make sure you choose the right man. She says... Uh, you know, growing up, go with all the bad boys and the, the rock stars and the guys yeah. who are smoking joints down the side and all those kind of people. But the, the reasons they're attractive in that stage mm. is the reasons they're going to be absolute shit husbands yeah. and make for shit fathers. So, you know, the bad boys aren't going to be the ones who are going to really do, do the good jobs around the house. Yeah, exactly, mate. So you got to pick Don't the right partner. Ones. Pick the right partner and make your partner a real partner. Absolutely. I think that's all, all from me, and I'd, except for this end bit, which I thought was a, a great way to, to end the book um, with chapter 11. She says, I began this book by acknowledging that women in the developed world are better off than ever, but the goal of true equality still eludes us. So she says there's, there's only one way to move forward. First, we have to decide that true equality is long overdue and will be achieved only when more women rise to the top of every government and industry and more men uh, share the work in the household. Obviously, that's the first step. And the second step is doing the hard work to get there. It comes down to all men, all women. Everyone has to understand and acknowledge these stereotypes and biases that are clouding our beliefs and perpetuating the status quo. And she says we need to ignore our differences, accept them, and transcend them. Man, it's a really good book. It's I think it's very actionable for women who are ambitious. I think she touches on subjects that... You know, if we weren't reading it through the lens of this book, if we were just talking about it at the pub, we'd probably get slapped. I think it's a very touchy subject, some of these things. Some of these things, but I think she does it well. I think I was, I was expecting it to just be a full um, man-hater sort of book, but it, I think it's very fair. It talks about internal obstacles um, that are holding us back that we can control rather than just blame blaming external factors. Mm. All right, man. So what do you give the book? 
Matt, I'll give it a seven. I want to be careful not to give too many sevens. I feel like everything's becoming a seven. We should ban sevens, man. Sevens should be banned it's after this. After this, yeah. After this one, because yeah. I'm giving it a seven as well. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, sevens, sevens, like yeah, it's a good solid book. If I was, <laughs> I, I think if I was a uh, a woman, I'd probably be up. It's there. nine, yeah. eight or nine, I'd say. Yeah. Um, as a male, probably, seven. S- probably <laughs> six. So we'll go somewhere <laughs> in the middle. So seven. Interesting. The easy rope. Down of the week this week is Beck Baker. Who did the survey at whatyouwillearn.com slash survey. Mate, I liked how we, one of the questions is how can we improve the show? And she said that if a book requires more time, give it more time. So she said that, you know, some books we do cover to cover, like Lean In, we just did the full book essentially. Whereas books, you know, How and Friends and Influence People, we did half the book. Sapiens, we did a quarter of the book. So she said that maybe give it more time. Mm. So I think it's, mate, I, I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, um, one option is to keep consistent in terms of time, you know, 25 to 30 minutes. Or one option is to go longer and do the full book. Yeah, but like some books could be an hour or more. I don't know what people want. Yeah, we we just assume that people prefer the, you know, keeping under 30 minutes. Because mm. I'd say 95% of the books we do get through in 30 minutes. There's yeah. enough gold there to get it in that range. Yeah. But every now and then you do come across one that can be pushed to an hour. Yeah. So we're not sure. Mate, we're going to, thanks to Beck Baker, we're going to add that as an extra question for the survey coming up. And Beck, get in touch. We'll send you a copy of Lean In or another book that you want to check out. Absolutely.